Welcome to another episode of the Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate. I've got a great discussion for you today with Tanya Vanderwater. Tanya is the CEO of Buckaroo Leatherworks. This is the company who makes the tool belt that my dad has been wearing now for a year. She is running the company that was originally started by her father just in his backyard as a leather worker. And today that's quite large. In fact, she is filming or having the conversation with us from their new factory that they just moved into. I believe it's about an hour south of Sydney and it's a really fun conversation. So I hope you check it out. If you can cut her a little slack, if it's noisy, it's because there's people buzzing around and working and making tool belts. And we certainly all know what it's like to be on a job site or in a production situation. So uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get right into it. Hey, thank you for so coming on the show. I know this is the middle of a work day for you, but um, how, how are you doing? Yeah, we're good. I'm very busy. Yeah. I juggle work-life balance as well as I can. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, not easy. This whole, no, and this COVID-19 situation has thrown, you know, a bit of an interesting mix into things, but it's Have been, you, yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, have you been able to, I guess, keep your employees coming in and, and stay open for business more or less? Yeah, we haven't stopped. We had a spike. We had a surge in sales of which was completely unexpected. We wow. were not prepared. Huh. We were moving from one workshop to our new factory. We anticipated a downturn and it never came. And instead... <laughs> It went the complete opposite, and here we find ourselves really kind of behind the eight ball, but doing the best we can, day shifts, night shifts. Wow. Yeah. So wh- why don't thing, you give – Good thing. Yeah, no doubt. Um, why don't you give us a little background on, on Buckaroo and kind of how you got to be where you are? I know this, this has been – there's kind of a long story to it, but maybe give us the medium version yeah. of that story. <laughs> I know. Yeah, there's lots of long story versions of what we do. So, I mean, look, we're a family business, you know, through and through. I now run the business with my husband, but I grew up in this business. It was my dad's. So, you know, I grew up um, seeing him struggling as a leather worker, always trying to make ends meet. It was never an easy gig. Yeah. Uh, And he did that for a really long time. My dad started leather work in the early 70s back in South Africa. And then my parents came to Australia during a apartheid they left south africa chose to come to um sydney came here with my older brother and sister and my dad continued leather work and i was born in australia oh wow and so you know my dad did that for a really long time he worked from the backyard shed the same humble beginning story you know that you find with a lot of brands these days that have family business backgrounds backyard shed moved to smaller premises got a little bit bigger but being traditional and quite old school in nature, my dad didn't really take risks, you know, very, very um, hand to mouth, so to speak. Just wanted to make sure that he had enough to keep the family going. Didn't really have great ambitions like his yeah. daughter got. 
I don't know where <laughs> I got it from. <laughs> no, it was definitely from him. I'm very much like him. So I joined the business when I was 18, and that was at a oh. time when my dad had just designed the tool belt of which we're now known for. So he kind oh, of wow. put it to me, you know, why don't you join the business? And I was like, no, it's like the daggiest thing ever. There's no way. <laughs> but at the time, I'd met my now husband, and he sort of said, you know, just try it. People who have family businesses, it's really great to have a family business. You know, just give it a go. You can connect with your dad, whatever. Yeah. So I did. And within, you know, six months, I loved it. I kind of realized a dream that I sort of never knew that I had. And so my wow. dad and I, you know, things started very small. It was a hard slog. His design was something that was really different compared to what was on the market. We're still not the norm. We're not a traditional tool belt maker. So our ideas are something that kind of, it pushed the envelope. So he and I used to travel around to building sites and that was the only way that we could kind of get rid of some of our stock, but we used to give it away because people didn't want to buy it because they were like, so you, oh you would show gosh. up on a job site. Oh, and... Yes, wow. we would show up on building sites. And back then, you know, this was almost 20 years ago. They didn't have the same safety restrictions like they have now. Like I could just walk on a building site. And my dad, we right. could just walk on a building site and just literally go up to the guys who were working and saying, hey, you know, try a belt or whatever. But, you know, like with all starting out stories, ours was never an easy one. And I could sell and my dad could make. And that's basically why we were a good team. And, oh, okay. um, you know, he used to leave me on building sites <laughs> for like an hour by myself. Selling and he used belts. to go to the pub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he'd sort of come back like an hour later and be like, How many belts have you sold? And it was, you know, it was it was really nice because we were building on something together. Yeah. And then really, you know, fast forward to today, my dad passed away um very early 2013. So 2012, he stopped working in the business. And that was at a time where we weren't as big as what we are now but I did say to him look if I'm going to do this if I'm going to take it on and run it by myself I really want to take those risks that you never took and he was quite supportive of that and you know um, we really blew it out of the water and then in most recent years my husband's joined the business which has been such a um, such a challenging but rewarding experience because now we're we're raising our children in this business so so for some for some um, craftsmen when you say taking risk, are you referring to like buying big machinery or equipment to help yeah. production? Is that yeah. the types of risks that he was not excited about? Yeah, it was gross. Yeah. You know, gross for someone who's old school, it's very daunting because you don't want to lose what you have. Yeah. And it wasn't that my dad wasn't ambitious. It was more just that he was, he was a craftsman dedicated to his craft, but was very comfortable doing that. And he liked yeah. being in that safe space of doing quality products that he was putting his name to. And right. obviously with growth, it extends, it, it expands out of that and then becomes a brand. And I think yeah. it was just that disconnect between maybe him and the brand. I'm not really sure, but he was always, right. he was always, yeah, one to stick to what he knew best and what he knew best was to use his hands and make leather goods. So I kind of came in with these big, bold ideas, you know, you can do more, we can do this and, and um, really kind of wanted to push that. And wow. he was very supportive, but yeah, we were always at loggerheads. So do you, um, 
a little bit more about your dad. Was yeah. he doing leather work in South Africa? Yeah. That been, that's, that's been his trade since he was a young, young guy. Yeah. So he was so doing leather um, work from yeah, the early 70s. So he was a cost and works accountant at Samsonite for a little while. And then he wanted to get his own trade. So he started doing leather work just as a hobbyist. And he set up a small little shop doing repairs and some handmade goods, shoes, bags, belts, you know, that sort of thing. And then he brought that trade with him to Australia. So when he came to Australia, he was, you know, in other, he was a qualified leather worker. And this was in the late 70s. So back then, leather work was a trade. You know, yes. now it's dead trade. It doesn't exist anymore as a qualified or an official yeah. trade, I should say. Yeah. So he brought that trade with him here to Australia. And, um, and it was really welcomed because, you know, there, there's always a need for quality. People like the idea of getting a custom-made item just for them. Yeah. And that's what he did for a really long time until the floodgates kind of opened from China and everything yeah. came in cheap and nasty and that pretty much killed his business. So it was at that point he was approached by a couple of tradesmen here in Australia and that's pretty much where the business diversified and then the rest is, is history. So he had a lucky streak. He was so able to turn the business from traditional to something more modern. When you say he was approached by some tradesmen, were these people yeah. who, who needed a product and they came to him as the leather worker and said, can you, can you create, yeah. I'm guessing it was the belt? Yeah. So two, so the story is it was two Maori guys, Maori guys from New Zealand, you yeah. know, they're known as all blacks. So they came yeah. into the factory and they said to my dad, you know, we want a belt. I'm a rigger. I think one of them was. And the other one was a scaffolder. You know, scaffolding's oh. the big whatever on the construction sites. Yeah, and yeah. um and so my dad designed a belt for them. The one condition from them was they just wanted everything on it to be black. They didn't want any brown <laughs> leather. It has to all be black. But my dad quite liked the idea of that. So he designed hey, what, a belt. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Just as a side note, I, I know yeah. there's the all blacks rugby team. Is that yeah. is that what it is? Is it about their rugby team or is there is there more cultural like significance to the color for Maoris? Look. I know you're not Maori or, or <laughs> as far as I know, but you're closer than say, I am. I know. I was gonna say, look, I don't feel very comfortable talking about another <laughs> cultural heritage of which I know nothing about. <laughs> but I know of it from, yeah, obviously the all blacks and there is, you know, long standing connection between what it means to be Maori and being and all black and whatever the roots of that is, I don't know. It's but these guys though, were pretty yeah. adamant. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and it makes for something that's really quite mean and, like, yeah. has that um, has that look of, um, yeah, I guess it's a pretty official color, isn't it? Yeah, and that was sort of the, that was the That was the tipping point. That's what made his belt design completely different from everything else that was on the market because everything else was brown. Everything else yeah. was tan. Everything else was a traditional, you know, carpentry apron style, which was all the same kind of leather, the same sort of design. Huh. And he really blew it out of the water by designing this all black idea. But the concept of it was unique. So each of these guys got their own base belt, but they could kit up their belt, kit up their rig with different tool holders. And that was pretty revolutionary for the time. You know, that really yeah. changed the way that um, tradesmen started to carry their tools and become efficient and organized on site. And that is the basis of our concept. And that's really where we've, we've gotten a lot of strength as a brand and appeal for, you know, as a product. 
Do you remember, I don't know how old you were when your dad was kind of developing that, and maybe it's just family legend by now, but do you remember him being excited about it kind of at the time and recognizing, wow, this is pretty neat and, and kind of proud of what he made, or is it Oh kind my of gosh, I thought he was crazy. Like, I remember he literally just threw this belt at me and said, <laughs> here, go and sell this. And I was uh-huh. like, what is this? It was like big and it had this orange strip on it and it was bulky and it had felt, you know, and it was one of those things that he was truly proud of. And it didn't matter to him that it wasn't getting the immediate interest that he felt it deserved. It was yeah. just something that he was really proud of. But what I saw in it was something that was just totally unique. I was like, yeah. this is actually cool. Like, this is something that we could really do things with, you know, and, wow. um, and it was exciting to take it on site. It was exciting to go up to construction workers and say, Hey, have a look at this. And they were like, Oh my gosh, that's the ugliest thing or whatever. But then we'd say, but try it on, you know, try it on, see how it feels. And we are known for having the most comfortable tool belt because it truly is that when you put it on, it feels like you don't even have anything on your waist huh. and, you know, spoke for itself. Yeah, so, that's yeah. really neat. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a few questions just about leather, and I know nothing about it, so these are going to yeah. be very basic. But um, first of all, I, it seems like the only leather I've even heard of is pigskin, and that's footballs around here, right. and yeah. and cowhide. Are yeah. there other in, and maybe like alligator for yeah. fashion? But <laughs> is cow is can cowhide simply just not be beat, or is it that it's the most abundant? And then my second question, I'm guessing that every leather color is dyed. Is that how it's made black yeah. is just through yeah. dye? So t- tell yeah. me a little bit about like the, the types of leathers and how that works these days. Yeah. So, I mean, look, cowhide is obviously the most versatile. You know, it comes in all different finishes and thicknesses and um, strengths. And, you know, you can get it from uh, f- for making fashion bags to making clothing to making heavy-duty stuff like we do. So cow leather is one of those leathers that just has a really beautiful quality about it where you can use it for anything and you know that the um, durability is there. Here in Australia, there's a lot of places that use kangaroo. So oh. The kangaroo leather is a really strong, tough leather. The kangaroo oh. is a very lean animal, you know. It has yeah. no fat on it whatsoever. So its skin is, you know, kangaroos are culled here in Australia. So they're yeah. killed in the thousands daily. And, and they're big, right? Yeah, it's an big. environmental thing, yeah. And, and so, you know, that those skins are turned into leather. And it's the leather that's used for football boots all around the world. Adidas, Fialad, you know, Nike. They Did use kangaroo leather. Yeah. Wow. Um, the problem with kangaroo leather is it only comes in a maximum thickness of about 1.2 millimeters, you know, which is huh. very, very thin. So for our purpose, it doesn't make sense because you're slamming a tool in and out of that pouch, let's say. Kangaroos, it's not going to last. So we choose to use cowhide. It is an expensive leather, the leathers that we use. The majority of it is actually engineered for us, but it's the starting point. You know, you start with good quality material and you end up with a good quality product as long as your processes are right. So... Our leather's engineered. Yes, it is all dyed through. We don't really do much dyeing here in the factory. We get all of our leather. We work directly with tanneries. So we get all of our leather direct from the tanneries exactly how we need it. Huh. So, you know, we're really we're really 
fortunate in that sense to have great suppliers from all around the world. But we particularly like to work with um, local tanneries here in Australia. And, yeah. you know, um, you can get a lot of leather from India these days. But you, like anything, you just have to be a little bit careful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially for you guys who are selling a premium product, it matters that you're, the leather, obviously, as the base material exactly. is up to your, up to your standards. So exactly. probably something closer is easier to keep an eye on. Yeah, and we forge really strong relationships with our suppliers. It's very, very important. Like things that are made in America, you know, with that pride element. It's yeah. the same thing here. With us being an Australian manufacturer, we like to partner with as many other suppliers and manufacturers as we can. So we like to forge these really strong, long-standing relationships, and that's where we know that the quality is always consistent. Yeah, 100%. Like, and, you know, and we're finding that also it's something that's really um, appreciated by our international audience, you know, the people yeah. around the world to be buying something that they know is made in Australia. Australian manufacturing is, is pretty well respected around the world. We have very high-quality standards, particularly when it comes to the way that um, employees are treated, for example. We have the highest wages in the world. There's nothing easy wow. about making product in yeah. Australia. Yeah, but, no you know, kidding. when it was, it, it was one of those things that, like, you know, my, my dad set up this business and just always made product here. It was never that he was an Australian manufacturer. It was just that he was a manufacturer. It's yeah. kind of only come into the picture probably more so over the last, say, 10, 15 years where there's been a real resurgence in consumers seeking out locally made goods. Before that, when we first entered the market, you know, the tool and hardware um, market, we were competing against German-made brands and American-made brands. And there was something in it where we didn't really say we were Australian-made. We kind of kept it a secret, you know, like mm -hmm. we didn't really want to showcase it because we thought it wasn't a strength. Right. And then there was this real turning point where all of a sudden there was a lot of loyalty towards the brand and we found that it was actually, a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were still making product in Australia and have been very open and transparent about that journey for us and what it means for us to be Australian made. And there's definitely that element of pride amongst our audience here. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's very much something that it's not easy, but we're really proud of it just as you would be for, an, you know, American-made brands, they're also in the same position where you're doing something that's keeping, it's got so many long-term benefits with what yeah. you're doing. It's not just about yeah. the here and now or even next year. You know, you always right. have that 10-year, 20-year foresight. And that's yeah. really nice. We employ a lot of people with families, you know, so yeah. we're keeping it going not just for ourselves and our own family, but, you know, a lot of other people as well. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I find myself, and I'm sure it's the same, you just really root. It's like rooting for a home team because it's your yeah. neighbors and it's it's people who are in your community and it's, yeah. it's jobs and it's the equipment that they're purchasing. It's just really terrific. And I, I especially love seeing uh, a company then take it and ship overseas and export yeah. that product, product to the world. It's just really neat. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, hats off to you. That's really something. Yeah, yeah, we find it exciting. And it's not something we ever take for granted. You know, making product in Australia is definitely a privilege. And yeah. it's something that if we weren't making product in Australia, then Buckaroo would, wouldn't be what it is today. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Um, hey, tell me, yeah. tell me about Australia in general. And I noticed among your tool belts, um, it looks like there's miners who are using the tool belts. I know mm. nothing about that industry. 
it makes sense to me how a carpenter would be hanging tools but what in the mining industry are what what's going on that they're carrying tools around i would have guessed it was all just heavy equipment and machinery it is. So we make tool belts mainly for coal mining. So coal miners who work underground, it's all for underground mining, not above ground mining. They have oh. to carry a lot of safety equipment. You know, they need to carry respirators, um, units which are designed for if there's an emergency and they need to pull it out. They've got breathing apparatus. Um, these are all the things that they have to keep on their body, on their person, so that it's available to them at any moment. But also with some of the mechanical work that they do underground, they do need to carry some hand tools. So that also oh. is something that they attach to their belts. But predominantly it's to carry the equipment should they need it in case of an emergency. But yes, wow. it is predominantly heavy equipment. Um, and our belts really last in those environments because we use a mixture of leather and synthetic materials. But the synthetic yeah. materials that we use are all designed to withstand really harsh conditions. So either extreme heat or extreme cold, you know, leather just doesn't um, hold up sometimes in those environments. So we've found that our miners' belts are to be, the, it's one of the best belts in the world. So we yeah. sell those belts all around the world. They're used in all different countries, in all different conditions. Um, yeah, but just a yeah, slight, slightly different concept. And hey, needs. was your in terms of combining synthetic and and leather was that part challenging for, was, did your dad struggle with that because you think a leather guy would be committed to only utilizing leather or was he kind of i guess obviously he was thinking outside the box and incorporating new materials um is he was he kind of was that natural for him or was he resistant to saying i'm a leather guy i don't need this synthetic stuff in here yeah, oh, look, he's definitely, he was a purist, but, you know, at the same time, he was all about quality. So whatever was yeah. going to improve the quality of a product, he was absolutely all for entertaining. Yeah. So the idea with, you know, swapping out leather for some synthetic materials was purely just because after trialing the product in certain environments, the leather just was breaking, it wasn't holding up. And so yeah. a lot of the synthetic materials, you know, they came about, we found them by accident. We discovered the material that's used as the upper belt strap on all of our belts. It's what you yeah. thread all your tool holders onto. That material was actually discovered because um, it's replaced leather in the equestrian industry. Oh. And it's a material called copolymer-coated webbing. But the idea of it is it can get wet. It can be exposed to heat. It can be exposed to water um, uh, or snow. And it always retains its original form. So that was a really important part of the process as to why we decided to use it. Because unlike leather, it would always go back to its original shape and condition. And it's one of the reasons wow. why our belts do last so long. None of these synthetic materials that we've swapped leather out for are cheap. They're all yeah. very, very expensive materials. But they're designed for allowing the belt to last you know mm -hmm. 10 years plus of absolutely everyday all-day use wow. so i think yeah when he saw the results of what the synthetics could offer uh, i think it was a no-brainer for him yeah. but you know some things he stuck to you know we'd never put synthetics on our tool holders which we call frogs we call them tool right. frogs you know they're always to be made out of leather so 
yeah, there were some things that, you know, was never an option for us to re- replace leather with, but the things that we wanted to last that extra bit longer, yeah. we, we definitely went down that path. Um, a couple more questions for you and I'll let you go. I don't know if you went to some type of business school or something, and if so, great. But if not, what to what do you attribute your natural instinct to run this business and, and grow it in a way that is, you know, something your dad couldn't comfortably get on? Was it just the risk tolerance or is there more to it? Um, I never take for granted the opportunity that I was given to take this business on. And yeah. I never took for granted the fact that before he died, you know, he put a lot of faith in my abilities, which were somewhat limited. You know, I didn't go to business school. I never went to university. Everything that I've, I've learned has been through experience and I've learned a lot through making many mistakes, you know? Um, But one of the, one of the things that I feel that I did, which he wasn't really able to do is it was never just about me. You know, my dad worked solo for a really long time. He wasn't used to having a team around him and he was always very stubborn you know, and I got that stubbornness from him <laughs> when I first took over. But what I realized very quickly is that there's always someone out there who can do things better than me. And yeah. so my, uh, my, my natural instinct has always been to create a team because, you know, yeah. you're always stronger in numbers. Oh, and by creating a team, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very unassuming in this business, you know. Most people walk mm-hmm. into this factory and if they don't know me or, or know anything about us, they definitely do not think that I'm the owner. They definitely yeah. do not think that I'm the boss. They walk yeah. straight past me. They're looking for the <laughs> man <laughs> who's the boss of the whole establishment. But I think that unassuming ability is something that's actually given me a lot of confidence because yeah. no one knows what to expect. And yeah. So when no one knows what to expect of you, it kind of gives you freedom to... Huh to be and think outside of the square. And so, yeah. And so I think that, um, I don't know what I, what I was able to do that my dad wasn't really able to do was probably just see that this business was him a hundred percent. His identity was it. And it was him. Like he traded as Ken Vanderwater belts for 25 years, you know, like his name was on everything. And I think maybe by giving myself, that distance between me as a person and the brand is actually how I was able to create a lot of elevation for it, you know, and for the business. Um, and it's been really fun. My dad struggled in this business for a really long time. He didn't get to have as much fun in it as what I've been able to have. And, And I think with that, you know, fun is an energy that comes off and gets rubbed onto others. And I've tried Mm -hmm. to make this an experience that's not just about endurance, but it's about really enjoying what we do. And out of that, there's been a lot of cultural benefits and we've really built the brand from the inside out. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a lot of pride to be taken in that. So, but, but I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I don't take Um, it for granted. You showed me uh, the other day when we were setting this up, some, shadow boxes of your dad's tools and the original yeah. belt that's something i thought about before how neat tooling would look framed uh and it, and you went ahead and and did that i take it that's a kind of some special heirloom tools for you, you know, especially related to this business yes because this stuff is you know 
it wears down if you don't protect it. And so all of these old things, you know, the first belts that my dad made, which were now like, you know, there's some 50-year-old belts and products that he made for my mom, you know, when he first started doing leather work and definitely his hand tools. These are things that if you don't take care of them, they eventually will disintegrate. They'll disappear. So I actually had, um, had a preservationist framer who frames oh. for one of the museums here in Australia. So she actually framed all of that for us. Oh, wow. And it means that it's framed in a way that it's still going to look and um, have the um, have the same, um, what am I trying to say? It's going to last in, in yeah. 50 years' time, 100 years' time, it's going to look the same as it does now. So, But it's oh. all to be showcased because, you know, authenticity is something that we, we really stand by. And there's yeah. nothing more authentic than how how things started. And my dad's old tools really show that. Oh, that's neat. So here's my last question for you. With with what you know about a tradesman starting and working with their hands and, and also selling things online and growing a business, do you think it's possible for, uh, a, let's say, a hobby craftsman, maybe like what your dad was when he first started, to start and actually make a living and an income in this day and age online and and how would you go about it if you were let's say you had some other side kind of thing you know or maybe one of your children are interested in that someday what what do you say to people who want to work with their hands and are just trying to find a way to you know find customers and get their products yeah out? number one don't ever compete on price don't ever think that you need to have your product sell at the cheapest price in order to make sales In fact, what we do is we go the absolute extreme opposite. What we charge for our products is absolutely what they're worth. It's what our staff deserve to be paid. It's what our business deserves to be, you know, still around in 50 years' time. That's what you're paying for when you're getting a premium product. And we don't ever sell ourselves short. I think that's what's given us a lot of brand strength in the marketplace. And the online nature of things is that it's such an unpredictable environment. You know, one minute you're doing well, the next minute you're not. The online environment for us is actually quite new. We've only been selling online for the last three years. We're predominantly a wholesale, you know, manufacturer with a wholesale front. Um, but having said that, I think you just always have to treat your customers with respect. You don't know where they come from. You don't know what they do. You don't know what their story is. You don't know who they are. I mean, your dad somehow got our belt. No idea. <laughs> we yeah, I don't know no either, idea. to be honest. Yeah, yeah you know. And this is, this, is, this is the really great thing. You just have to always treat everyone with respect because you never know where your products are going to end up. And you yeah. want to always make sure that you're ready and prepared for if and when that success does come. Um, yeah. You know, and I always just think like for us, we, we, we will never put ourselves in a position where we'll compete with cheaply overseas made products. We're making everything with our hands. This is what we do. It's handcrafted because we've got the quality and the durability and that is our brand. That is our name. And we don't ever skimp on that. We never look to the competition when we're doing product development. We never look outside of what we feel we do best. And there's a lot of risk that comes with that because you never know how it will be received with your audience. But we're catering and attracting tradesmen that have the same values as what we do. So it's quite easy to find that correlation. They want quality. We want quality. They expect it to last. We want it to last. Yeah. You know, so um, doesn't mean success is automatically going to come with it. But if and when it does, at least you've got a better chance of making it a sustainable journey. Oh, that's neat. Well, Tanya, where can our listeners learn more about? I know you, I've been on your website, but 
what, where can people find out more about Buckaroo? And if there's anything else you want to leave the audience with, now's your chance. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're just about to launch our brand new website, which we can't wait because it's all original content, beautiful photography, lots of images of our staff working, giving people a really great insight into how we operate, our story, our origin, and what the future looks like. So our website is um, buckaroobelts.com. And it's an online store as well. If anyone wants to get their hands on some gear, they're more than welcome to place an order online. Um, And then the other thing that we're active with is Instagram. We love Instagram as a platform. It gives us a direct opportunity to communicate with the people using our product. It's how we do a lot of product development. You know, product development starts and ends with tradesmen. We are not tradesmen. We just make good gear. So it's really important that we have those end-user relationships. Um, And our Instagram handle is at Buckaroo Leatherworks, which is all one word. Yeah, great. And, you know, that's that's pretty much the best way to find up-to-date information on us and what we're doing. And um, I was going to mention that. For us, people ask sometimes, how do you come up with ideas for videos? And the answer is that our, our audience is constantly making great suggestions and ideas. Is that sort of what happens with your product development where you'll enough people will request, I don't know, some sort of special snips frog and, and you, exactly. you just kind of automatically know that that's the next product to be developed? Exactly. It's almost like, you know, if it's a popular request, we know it'll be a hit. But yeah. everyone wants to design something. Everyone has ideas. Everyone wants yeah. their belt to look different to the next person. Uh, so yeah. we're never short for ideas when it comes to developing new products. Um, and we're really fortunate that we, we, we allow the time to do it as well. We're not so time poor that we push everybody away, you know. We really yeah. value and savor those um, relationships that we can have with these people using our product because that truly is how we know whether or not it's going to merit success for a product. Um, that's fun. It's fun making new products, getting it out on <laughs> yeah. site. But, you know, we do. We, we, we heavily rely on tradesmen because, yeah, we are just leather workers. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're the ones who have the, the exact experience with how their life exactly. could be improved. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much, Tanya, for coming on and talking to us. And best of luck to you. And as you know, and I don't know if all of our viewers know, but this is the belt that my dad's been wearing for maybe a year now. Mm-hmm. And it came in the mail from not you, from someone else. And he's a big fan. He's got some his old bags strung on it. But I guess that's kind of the point. You can string whatever that's bag right. you want on it. And yeah. he, he really loves it. And so we, we certainly give it two thumbs up. And thanks for taking the time. And uh, best of luck to you. Keep growing. Keep growing. And pretty soon, I'm sure we'll see you in Home Depot and Lowe's over here uh, on the that. U.S. mainland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No well, worries. thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Nate.